Welcome to The Climate Conversation, a podcast brought to you by the Environmental and Energy Study Institute. As always, I am joined by Dan Brissett, and this week we have invited Jean Chemnick, a reporter from E&E News, to sit with us and discuss what a Biden administration will do for climate change. Hi, Dan. Hello. Hi, Jean. How are you? Hello. Good. Hi. (laughs) So this is so exciting. You are, Gene, you are our first podcast guest to actually be recorded like live. We will look back on this and say, this was a great idea to talk with a reporter uh, Mm -hmm. who is plugged in on all things climate and international climate. Um, I think we're going to be doing a lot of this. So maybe you could be our first recurring guest when we get really good. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) That'll be fun. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here. I am pumped that this is a live recorded session. Um, I think it's going to add a really re- like nice element to our podcast series. Um, all right, so for those of you tuning in, I'm just going to go through Jean's background so everyone's on the same page, so you can come up with some questions if you want to. Um, Jean has a master's in journalism from Boston University, and she covers international climate policy for ClimateWire and focuses on UN policy, US foreign policy, and on stories about how other nations are dealing with climate change. So today we really want her to talk about the transition into the Biden administration and what that means for climate policy. Um, So we'll just kick it off. I'll kick it off. Um, you've been extensively covering the presidential transition for e News recently. So what is the biggest thing that you have learned through your reporting about what to expect in regards to climate policy with the new administration? Sure. I mean, Biden has said that he wants a climate administration, um, that it's not, it's not just going to be a couple of positions. It'll be positions across his cabinet and across the whole administration who, that think about this issue and incorporate it. Um, and, and we've seen him appoint some people to unrelated positions that have serious credentials on climate change. Um, they're not all uncontroversial with everybody in the entire environmental stratosphere, but um, people like, you know, Brian Deese for National Environmental, or sorry, National Economic Council rather, um, of course, he was uh, the climate official under the Obama administration, but now he's going to be in charge of, of an, you know, economic policy at the White House. That's an interesting background for him to have. Um, Janet Yellen, who is the nominee for Treasury, also has a background in supporting carbon taxes and talking extensively about the, the risks posed uh, by climate change to the economy. So we're starting to see that being built. One of the people whose names came up towards the beginning of the transition, of course, is John Kerry, mm-hmm. former Secretary of State, a longtime senator from Massachusetts, like Joe Biden, former chairman and ranking member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He's going to be in a position to really lead um, sort of the, um, the reassertion of U.S. influence over international climate policy, international climate negotiations. What do you make of him in that position what does that, for, from your perspective, based on your reporting, what signal do you think that's intended to the rest of the world and to you know, other parts around the government? Right, this is a new position. Um, there's never been a 
climate diplomat on that level. He's actually a member, he's going to be a member of um, the National um, Security Council. Uh, he'll have a chair on, on the, the council, um, which makes him probably cabinet level and he's a climate official. Um, you know, having, having somebody who was a, a Democratic nominee for president, who is known to be a very close friend of, of Biden's and who has a background as Secretary of State and, you know, and a background on this issue also is meant to send a signal to other countries and, and to the world, you know, about that the U.S. is basically back in the game on, on climate change. And, you know, he probably won't be overseeing the day-to-day -day negotiations, for example, to the extent there still are any on the Paris Agreement, um, you know, that'll definitely still come from, from the State Department. He may have a seat at the State Department. We actually are not sure exactly how they're structuring his role, but, but what he'll do instead is he'll be able to access sort of in foreign leaders. He can walk into a room with foreign leaders and, and speak to them on you know, almost an equal playing field and, and represent the United States. And it is meant to be a powerful signal, especially after the US left the Paris Agreement under Trump and has been sort of um, you know, a renegade for the last four years on this issue that the U.S. is back at the table. So John Kerry will have this diplomatic position externally facing, working with foreign leaders, other countries, allies, um, UN, all of that. There's a lot of talk right now about who's going to be his domestic counterpart. So mm -hmm. who's going to be running sort of those traps, but sort of focused domestically. Do you have any insight into who the people are who are who are being talked about. Um, I know there are some governors, there are some formal OMB officials, people who work in state level and have been really active over the last few years. But where's the stat? What's the state of your reporting on sort of who's going to take that position? Yeah, I mean, we're hearing the names that people are talking about. It, it, the the transition has been very opaque. It's it's kind of hard to see exactly you know, what they're doing all the time. And there, it's very possible that new names will surface in, in the coming weeks for this role. Um, but at the moment, we're hearing a lot about uh, someone named Ali Zaidi, who spent a lot of time in OMB and, and um, in the Obama administration um, as a possible coordinator. Um, and then, then you're also hearing about Jay Inslee, Washington's governor, who is extremely steeped in these issues. You know, this was sort of the centerpiece of his own run for the for the presidency last year. Um, and Jennifer Granholm, which I'm writing about today, uh, former Michigan governor, um, you know, has also been very steeped in energy issues from a slightly different perspective, a little bit more. Um, in line with labor, and you know, she was she was involved in the uh, auto uh, issues, you know, back at the beginning of the Obama administration, and, and was governor of, of Michigan then. Um, those are the names that come out up most often. Although John Podesta is still floated a lot, John Podesta being, of course, you know, Clinton's uh, chief of staff, but then he was also a, a very major and pivotal uh, climate official under o Obama, who was responsible largely for brokering a deal with China right before Paris that really was a game changer. It's not clear whether he'd be interested. I mean, people have asked, um, you know, it's not, it's not clear whether he's coming back, but you know, he, his name is still definitely in the mix. 
Gina McCarthy, former EPA administrator, her name also sometimes comes up. Um, so we will see. Um, a lot of it depends on exactly what this role is. I mean, somebody like Ali Zaidi would probably be a more a coordinator, kind of a manager of, uh, you know, climate policy across the administration, somebody who can keep the trains running. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's steeping these issues too, but um, knows a little bit more about the levers in, in government, in the federal government. These other roles are, are more on, you know, on an equal footing with Kerry. They have their own, you know, stature as former governors or, you know, former cabinet members or chiefs of staff. And, um, they would be a signal also that that this is an elevated issue in the Biden administration and able to talk to members of Congress on more equal footing and whatnot. Thank you. Um, we've been talking a lot about how Biden is setting up his administration, but he's also made it really clear that climate is a priority. But I'm kind of wondering more along the lines of how do you think, according to your research and reporting, that Biden will act first? Do you think he's going to focus on implementing new initiatives or reversing the environmental rollbacks of the Trump administration? Well, I, th I think that, you know, you know as, I, as I report about what he's likely to start with, you know, I ask that question a lot. And, and I'm told that the, one of the lessons of the Obama administration is not to do things in sequence, but to try to do everything all at once, because it takes a long time to do each of these, these pieces. And what, of course, Obama did um, was that he started trying to push legislation in, in his first term, and Carol Browner oversaw that, that for the White House. Um, and then, you know, regula regulatory action only really kicked off in the second term, with the exception of the auto rule, which was very important in the first term. But, um, and it takes a long time to write rules, and it takes a long time to go through the rulemaking process and do public comment and make progress. And, you know, if you're only guaranteed four years, um, and, you know, all these rules need to go through the courts and will face very stiff legal challenges, um, I think that they've gotten the memo that they need to start right away in all the ways, doing everything. And so I would, I would expect, you know, starting early to be a major priority for pretty much everything for, you know, actions at Interior and EPA and, and everything else. Yeah. You mentioned the four years, right? That's the, that's the term, but those four years aren't all equal, right? Um, the first one, uh, the second one will have a midterm election, then you've got the third one, and then you've got, you know, whatever comes in the fourth year. Um, I think one, one thing that we've thought about when we've sort of done our analysis of what the Biden administration could be doing is really thinking through I think to your point, getting started early on multiple fronts um, so that by the time attention starts, the political attention starts to turn to the midterms, things are already in, you know, you don't have to be waiting to get started when people are like, yeah, okay, but I also have a reelection in a couple months. Um, I think the political um, attention will shift really, really quickly to the midterms, especially based on how um, the House races um, shook out. Um, they're going to be a lot of, it's going to be a lot of attention uh, on the part of Republicans and in, in, on retaking the House, I think, in 2022. Do you have any yeah. thoughts about that? Well, there, I mean, there's a real question mark over what can even be done with Congress. Um, 
I mean, you, you'll still hear people throw out the idea of things like green stimulus or infrastructure, and occasionally you'll hear someone make an argument for why a carbon tax could float with with a divided Congress. And you know, we'll see. That I mean, that all of that remains to be seen. Um, but you can see how how much of a struggle it is to get stimulus, or not even stimulus, but recovery legislation through a divided Congress right now. So you know, the idea has been that maybe a lot of green provisions could move as part of a, an economic recovery bill, especially if it was a very large one. And of course, Biden had a role in the uh, the Recovery Act under Obama in the first year of which which was a 90, 90 billion for green tech, which was the largest um, investment in in green energy ever by the federal government. Um, but whether that whether there's going to be an appetite or an ability to move that. Uh, next year would remain to be seen. Um, you know, I think that the smart money is that if McConnell is still leading the Senate, it is very unlikely that, that, that there will be money in the package that can be devoted to things like um, electric vehicles, you know, electrification for homes and you know, weatherization and all these other things that went into tax credits for renewable energy that went into the Recovery Act. So, um... I think my final question, if Dan has other ones, he can gladly mm -hmm. add them. But we know that Biden is kind of infusing his administration with climate experts. We hope that he'll hit the ground running in January. But what do you think like the outlook is, the general outlook is for climate action and policy in the next four years, just on a general level? Sure. Well, I mean, I think I think prospects for a um, for legislation are uncertain. It may be, it, you'll hear even um, people like Jeff Homestead, who was a, a George W. Bush um, EPA official, saying that there could be areas like, uh, something like a renewable portfolio standard, um, you know, that, that might actually, or I mean, he wouldn't say renewable, I don't think, he'd probably say clean, but um, you know, that could have some traction Bipartisan, in a bipartisan way, um, you know. So it's possible that there maybe the sleeper policy that, that we're not looking for is some legislation because I think that we all think that the prospects for that are very dim as we move into this particular political um, climate. And so, if anything comes of it, that would be really surprising. A certain, you know, a certain number of think tanks around town are really focused on the idea of a carbon tax, and that is a bipartisan uh, solution. Uh, you know, that that's been out there for over a decade with this idea that it's a, a conservative solution to um, to climate change. But if that ever came to fruition, that could be very interesting. Um, but generally speaking, prospects for legislation are uncertain, you know, what, what Biden certainly can do is, you know, use the bully pulpit of the White House to elevate this as an issue, um, choose personnel who think about it in, in decisions that are not necessarily related to climate change in planning, you know, in program management across every possible agency. Um, you can think about it in procurement, you know, and really cut out emissions by buying much cleaner stuff, you know, using the, the power of, of um, the federal government's spending to signal to markets. Um, you know, you know, what else? Um, 
you know, and, and there, there will be, they, they'll try to use the Clean Air Act and other regulatory levers for the next four years to reverse some of the rollbacks, which will be an interesting exercise given the Supreme Court, but they'll have to, they'll have to take a very um, conservative approach to, um, to using the law, be very certain in, in the grounding of, of the rules that they write, not be very creative in the grounding of the rules that they write, but still try to get as many uh, emissions reductions as possible through those more conservative levers in, in, in regulation. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think they kind of have their work cut out for them. And it's interesting because, of course, progressives and, you know, and, and environmental ad advocates feel that they had a real you know, influence in this election and that they really worked for Biden. And you can already see that they have very high expectations for what the administration will do. So this will be an interesting four years, I would say. Just very briefly, um, you talked about the carbon, you talked about a carbon tax as being sort of a so-called conservative prefer, uh, preferred solution. Yeah, but I also think of it as very business friendly, and I'm wondering if you're detecting in your reporting, um, or what you're detecting in your reporting in terms of like how the business community, sort of writ large, is approaching an administration like the Biden administration will be that's sort of refocused on climate and interested in making progress, and and what you're seeing in sort of that dynamic playing out. There, there definitely has been this argument that this is a market-friendly approach to dealing with the whole problem that it, you know, affords you an opportunity maybe to uh, roll back some regulatory levers and instead have the market do it. I, 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 you know, obviously you have to have Congress on board to do this and I don't see that happening anytime very soon, although I'm sure you'll find some people who will say that and I know who they would be, who would say that the moment is now. And so I, I stand to be corrected, right? Um, I mean, it's, it's long been the preferred uh, policy of conservative economists, but I, I don't see a lot of evidence that it's the preferred policy of Republican lawmakers yet, most of them, yeah. Actually, thank you. Um, we, we just got our first question from the audience. So okay. I thought that I would read it to you. Um, what are some of the major ideas submitted to the transition team by various think tanks? Do you know anything about that? Yeah, well, you know, I spent so much time trying and I'm still trying to chase down this idea of a national climate council. And this was an idea that originated with Podesta at the beginning of the, the transition into Obama, uh, you know, 12 years ago. And it's an idea that he and many, many others floated in different models uh, for how Biden could, could structure climate change within his White House. Um, and it's, it, it also, it would elevate the issue. It would put it on par with economics because the National Economic Council is a very important body within the executive office of the president, right? And so this would create a similar body. Um, it is not clear whether that's what they're doing. It's not even clear whether they've decided whether they're doing that or not at this point. I would take thoughts if anyone has them, but the, but you know the importance of this would be that it would um, 
it, it would sort of mainstream how climate change is thought about across a lot of different issues and um, create sort of a clearinghouse at the White House uh, to think about climate change. Um, and that would be something that perhaps this climate, domestic climate figure uh, would sit atop and that would be their apparatus and their policy shop within the White House. So that was a proposal that was made by numerous groups as they, they turned in sort of white papers during you know the campaign and still I guess maybe during the transition. Um, gosh, what are other ideas? Uh, you know, I mean a lot of how you can approach the Clean Air Act to get the most out of it um, on climate change. I was gonna ask, you know, you were just talking about you just mentioned the campaign. Um, you know, Joe Biden ran on a platform that prioritized lots of things, but climate was one of them. And he just won more votes than any candidate did in history. Mm -hmm. um, a, a, a genuine majority of voters. Um, and he did so in places um, that, you know, think differently about these issues, right? He won the state of Pennsylvania. He won the state of California. He won um, the state of Georgia. He won, you know, lots of, lots of these places where um, the debate about climate change sounds different. Um, and, um, you know, the, the attitudes of some of these voters uh, toward things like the transition away from fossil fuels, they, it varies, right, state to state, region to region, urban versus rural area. Question mm -hmm. is sort of what your, and this is something that's coming from uh, some, um, from our audience, is in terms of messaging, um, you know, how, how are you seeing, uh, or what do you think will come from the administration in terms of how it messages around climate change? There's an urgency to it, but I'm also thinking that it could be helpful uh, to their cause to be talking about it as an opportunity, um, as a transition. I'm just wondering what you're hearing in terms of the messaging and sort of if you are seeing any early signs of how that messaging is gonna be met um, by folks who maybe want to take a slower role when it comes to addressing climate change? Well, I mean, I think that the, the preferred uh, message from progressives is, is climate crisis, right? And I, I, you know, that is what all the Democrats embraced in the, the primary. And I think also what I've heard from, from Biden, what Biden brings and is sort of the, the idea of it as an economic issue and um, I think that uh, sort of the more moderate um, folks I talk to say that, that it's important to link it to job creation. Um, I was talking to somebody from my grand home. I'm doing a grand home piece for Monday that I have to report out about why she's on the list and what she'd bring. And they were making this, this case of, well, she'll, she'll really talk about this as a jobs issue because she can point to her time in Michigan where she, she did bring in a lot of green energy, but you know, it was with a lot of buy-in from labor. Um, it was good for the auto uh, workers. And, you know, she can kind of make this case of this being a rust belt issue of, of trying to improve innovation and, and bring jobs into communities that need them. Uh, natural gas is gonna be a big battle in the Biden administration. Um, you know, whether it's, it's still a, a bridge fuel, whether it's still a net positive, um, he, he's obviously been very supportive of natural gas and, and the Obama administration was really, and, and the, the Obama 
alums who are coming into his administration have said positive things about the U.S. You know, gas production because it was a bright spot in the Obama administration in terms of economic the economy. And so, but it's sort of, you know, public enemy number two or three for the progressives who also think that they have a stake in his administration. So that will be a battle. Um, and of course, in order to get some of those very ambitious, Biden campaigned on a, a platform of um, uh, net zero carbon for, for power by 2035 and net zero for the whole economy by 2050. And to get to those places, you, you do have to either reduce, seriously reduce or almost eliminate gas use or do serious CCS, which and CCS is another thing that we've talked about for a decade and a half and that hasn't really gotten off the ground yet. So it, it remains to be seen, but where we are in terms of his messaging and where he'll come out and how he'll thread the needle with all these different constituencies. This is great. Thanks so much, Jean. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Wow, that was such a great conversation. Dan, what did you take away from that? Um, I agree, Sid, 100%. It was really fun to talk with Jean and get to know her a little bit. Yeah, I think our con one thing I've been reflecting on uh, is, you know, our conversation with Jean primarily focused on the new administration in Congress. And, um, you know, they're ultimately the policymakers who will, you know, be able to advance climate solutions. But, you know, we know what we have to do. Um, we know our mission is to educate policymakers to um, do what we can uh, to advance climate solutions in a just and equitable way. And uh, and and on a you know an urgent time scale, um, but we're not the only ones. Um, we have to also think about providing pathways for private industry, for the business sector to make their contributions, for leading companies to lead, um, to provide you know uh, platforms for other advocates, um, for you know the various clean energy sectors to make their case about what they can contribute to climate change. Um, and, you know, Washington is an ecosystem and it's sometimes easy to focus on, you know, who's, who's the president and who runs the Senate. But in fact, um, in representative democracy, there are lots of voices that need to be heard and lots of information needs to be put out there. So I think, you know, in later episodes of the podcast, we should revisit the topic um, and make sure that we um, sort of look at it from those other perspectives as well. But Great conversation. I really enjoyed talking with Jean this morning. Yeah, I definitely think that our conversation in total just really solidified the fact that all industries and all governments, it doesn't matter where you are, um, need to come together and work together for climate action because we can't solve this thing alone. And the more people we talk to, um, the more I realize that that is the case. Remember, if you want to learn more about EESI's work, head to our website at eesi.org. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at EESI Online for all of our recent updates. The Climate Conversation is published as a supplement to our bi-weekly newsletter, Climate Change Solutions. Go to eesi.org slash sign up to subscribe. Also, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.